0: There are areas all over the globe that are nicknamed window areas. These are locations that seem to be a tear in the veil to other realities. Paranormal Researcher Andrew Lake
1: The Reddit poster, Illustrious Bread, recounts, I grew up in the Rockland Abington area, which is at the northernmost tip of the BT, that is the Bridgewater Triangle. While cryptids weren't seen exactly, a multitude of unnerving situations were experienced by myself and friends growing up that directly encouraged us to have an interest in the occult, paranormal, etc. It's hard to describe that the woods in the area, while lovely and friendly to hikers, they always seemed to have a dark, nauseating, heavy energy which always made the experience of being in the forest More stimulating above and beyond just having privacy as a youth. Just as a brief overview. Many stories of decapitated cats being discovered around town. Personally finding an occult altar in the woods. A beheaded goat carcass discovered in the woods behind a cemetery on Webster Street by the police. Friends finding a decapitated squirrel head found stuck to tree branches in the same woods. All indicating active occult activity or one or more sick individuals an odd experience of being in the woods and feeling unnerved as hell to the point where a friend and I booked it out of there on our bikes only to hear a lightning-like crack and have a very large very old healthy and full-grown tree fall behind us directly along the path towards us to where the treetop missed my friend by about five feet dramatically blocking our re-entrance A few seconds earlier and we would have been struck by a random falling tree. If this experience wasn't preceded by that feeling of substantial dread, I would have thought it was a massive freak occurrence. But honest to God, we felt we needed to get out of there ASAP, and we weren't in the woods spooking ourselves out. We were just having light-hearted conversation when that feeling washed over us. I could go on and on about bizarre personal experiences, but many are subtle feelings of dread hearing voices music etc etc in the woods in the area just a few things to note about the area it's suspect it's being used for or formerly used for occult purposes. There is an air base close by that has been linked to suspicious aerial activity. And also, the area has had a bizarre history that I am familiar with as I spent an entire summer pouring through old 19th century news archives that I don't think are now available to the public. I know for an absolute fact that there are mass unmarked graves in the area, that many roads are paved over the graves in which the headstones were simply moved. Other things like that nature as well. Perhaps interesting to some. Lots of strange, dark local history there. Who knows? I'm not crazy about the paranormal, but I suspect that occult or rituals may have been performed in the area. And perhaps, This has had some kind of impact on the environment and the people. You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session, tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Welcome everyone.
0: This is our episode on the Bridgewater Triangle. Bridgewater Triangle is a region of high strangeness in Massachusetts defined by the towns of Abington, Rehoboth, and Freetown. In the center of it is Taunton, Massachusetts. Uh, You may recall in episode seven, our episode on the Mothman prophecies, we defined high strangeness as an area where there are multiple encounters in two or more categories of the paranormal, including but not limited to ghosts, UFOs, orbs, cryptids, synchronicities, and prophecies. The Bridgewater Triangle has it all, not only poltergeists, orbs, and Bigfoots, but also giant snakes, thunderbirds, and the ghosts of Indians. The term Bridgewater Triangle was coined by paranormal investigator Lauren Colbin in 1970 for his book Mysterious America. If you don't know New England very well, there's a part of Massachusetts that sticks out like a barb with a hook on the east end. Um, It kind of lips over Rhode Island. The barb is sort of defined by uh, the Rhode Island Bay, the bay that Providence is on. It's Narragansett bay i think i'm pronouncing that wrong um north and to the east of that is this bridgewater triangle which is about 200 square miles and it includes a number of towns i already said it's defined by abington rehoboth and freetown but it also includes brockton uh rainman sorry rahanman berkeley dighton mansfield and there's two different Bridgewater's. so the region is actually said to have been carved out by glaciation 25,000 years ago. And so there's a swamp there, the Hockamock Swamp, that Chris is going to talk about, and that was actually originally a glacial lake. There's also other surrounding lakes there that are are originally glacial lakes. So people have even found rare and ancient organisms that were more common during the Ice Ages in these lakes, including something called uh, brazoans, which are aquatic invertebrates. They look kind of like jellyfish. And when I was reading a description online, they sound like they're kind of like sea anemones or coral. So they're kind of, uh, they're animals, but they don't have much of an integrated nervous system and they live communally. And again, they're kind of microscopic. So when you see them together, they just look like a big gel or a jellyfish. So uh, most recently, bryozoan were discovered in Lake Nippeniket. Moving forward in time, It was one of the most densely populated areas of North America around when the uh, colonialists from Europe began landing. And uh, there's at least one major object you can see that's an artifact from before colonial landings. That is Dighton Rock, a 40-ton boulder found in the Tauntaun Riverbed. This is a rock that has carvings on it that appear to be symbolic or linguistic. Uh, They're primarily lines, geometric shapes, and schematic drawings of people. In fact, these are called petroglyphs. And I have, uh, Chris, a quote from 1690. This was Reverend Cotton Mather, who wrote a book called The Wonderful Works of God Commemorated, in which he described uh, Dighton Rock. He says, Among the other curiosities of of New England, one is that of a mighty rock on a perpendicular side, whereof by a river, which at high tide covers part of it, there are very deeply engraved. No man alive knows how or when about half a score lines, near ten foot long, and a foot and a half broad, filled with strange characters, which would suggest as odd thoughts about them, that were here before us, as there are odd shapes in that elaborate monument." These carvings haven't been definitively dated or sourced to any particular civilization, Uh, so the most common theory is that they were done by the local Indians, the Wampanoag But uh, there's also a theory that the ruins or petroglyphs were made by Portuguese sailors who landed around 1500. There's also a theory that they were made by the ancient Phoenicians. uh, As the rock has some similarities to another one that's located in Vermont. Gavin Menzies, in his book 1421, The Year China Discovered America, argued that the rock was actually made by the Chinese. So I want to just emphasize there's deep history here um it goes back as i said to the ice age and there's still creatures living here that were here before humans were ever here plus we have evidence of a civilization and we don't know how far back that civilization goes so there could be for all we know considering that these petroglyphs look like they were possibly made by the phoenicians um, but can't be definitively traced to any particular civilization this could be a lost civilization something that predated even the Indians now moving forward in time again in the 1670s at which point in time the British had established the Plymouth Colony there was the war that Chris alluded to earlier this was called King Philip's War because it was a war between the British colonists and the uh, Wampanoag Indians who were led by Chief Metacomen, also known as King Philip this was the bloodiest war in North American history At least per capita five percent of the total population of the bridgewater triangle was destroyed in fact it was five percent of the population of what today is massachusetts Um, two weeks after the death of medicoman there were still resistors and uh british sorry benjamin church an englishman led a raid to mop them up and he chased down a group of indian fighters led by a man named annawan he was an elderly native american and he negotiated a peaceful surrender in good faith, he surrendered the wampum belt. So this is a belt that represented graphically the history of his people, and it also had a, a currency value. So it was actually like a precious artifact. He surrendered in good faith to the English as part of an agreement that he and his people would not come to harm, but would be allowed to leave if they left in peace. That agreement was violated. His head was put on a pike, and... Uh, the Wampan belt then disappeared. So it's said that one of the re- reasons why this region is haunted is because this act of deep betrayal triggered a kind of a curse. And in fact, if you look at the 2013 documentary, The Bridgewater Triangle, while filming that documentary, one of the researchers says, um, you know, I think that this all has to do with the Wampan belt disappearing. And right when he said that, their lights went out in the documentary.
1: Hmm. Interesting stuff. Yeah, I actually, uh, I think I'll, I'll start off by talking about the uh, Hakamak Swamp. Because I think that ties very much in with this Native American tra- tradition in history and also indicating that this location, the swamp and the Bridgewater Triangle have had spiritual significance for centuries. Uh, So the Hockadock Swamp is really the heart of the triangle. This is where people are having many sightings of uh, Bigfoots, giant snake creatures, also thunderbirds. And so uh, for those of our listeners who may not be familiar, a thunderbird is a cryptozoological creature. It's a large bird-like animal. In native lore, these uh, creatures are so big that they can call down lightning with the beating of their wings, hence the name Thunderbird, right? Uh, The Chris, are you going to go on
0: about Thunderbirds? Uh, Did you have something to add? Well, I just wanted to add that some people say the Mothman is a Thunderbird, and then just some people also, if you know the uh, Mississippi River Valley area, uh, which is where I'm from, as I'm from St. Louis, there's a small town called Alton, Illinois across the river, which famously has a thunderbird depicted on the bluff overlooking the river it's called the Piasa Bird i think it's actually been destroyed now but it was there through my childhood so thunderbirds are all over north america but,
1: but there's also in that same region that you just uh brought up there's also pteroglyphs as well right along the uh, Mississippi yes. river yeah
0: so that yeah. i think that the piasa bird would have been a petroglyph
1: mhm yeah Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we definitely, this this is, this type of cryptozoological phenomenon is not distinct to the Hakamak swamp region. So, that term, Hakamak, means, in Algonquin, places where spirits dwell. Now, it's important to note that the Wampanoag worshipped this god called Habamak, right? And so Habamak, Hakamak, these two are very much interrelated. Habamak is a deity of death and disease, right? And he's actually made out of dead human souls. He kind of arises as as they congregate in areas of death like this swamp, right? Um, and so also important to note, Habamak, Hakamak, for the natives, those are actually, uh, or for non-natives, those actually have become interchangeable. Okay, so the Habamok Swamp is an area of kind of high psychic or evil energy. To this day, there are allegations that there's satanic activity taking place. People indicate they see hooded and robed individuals out there having these rituals. Uh, as you alluded, the, the colonist called it the Devil's Swamp. Uh, it's going to fed it. It's filled with quicksand. Uh, there's lots of nocturnal screeching creatures at night. And so it's got this very dark vibe. That's correct, Chris. And also a uh, major element are people see
0: lights in the swamp. So there are, people will see uh, orbs and a lot of phantom fires, which is a phenomenon that I wasn't very familiar with, but was apparently very common in the Hockamock Swamp and actually all over New England. So this is a phenomenon where people will be, they'll be, like, canoeing on a stream, a river, or even out in the ocean. And they look on shore, and they see a fire. looks like a bonfire. And often, they also hear, sounds like a party. And so, you know, you get excited, and you're like, let's go check that out. Especially if you're like me, you might, I'm going to go crash this party, right? And, like, see what, it, you know, it's late at mm-hmm. night. Maybe I can just kind of hang out with these people. Um, but when you get there, there's nothing there. It's gone. There aren't even any ashes. So
1: yeah, and that's... It. Very interesting stuff. And I, I, you know, as we'll get to later, I think there's definitely some parallels here uh, between this this lore that's attached to this area and fairy lore, right? The idea of, like, fairy parties wandering into them, becoming trapped or enraptured or enchanted. Uh, tying this back to actual historical fact, uh, early settlers and colonists uh, tended to avoid this area because the very first few who went in to explore it uh, didn't come back. Uh, the idea being that they became disoriented, were lost, and uh, this would even happen to kind of seasoned hunters and woodsmen. So it very much had this reputation as a dangerous area to be avoided for those early settlers. Yeah, swamps are generally quite dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I think is really interesting are these accounts of these giant serpents. Uh, particularly given the climate of New England, right? We wouldn't expect to see these large, large reptiles uh, being able to survive through those cold, harsh winters. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, um, if we think about these as real living creatures that might be out there.
0: Well, I thought it might have something to do with the Thunderbirds, because often, you know, in the indigenous lore that I've looked at, flying bird monsters are often also snakes like winged Mm -hmm. snakes is a common thing and i don't have enough background on the pious bird or any of these thunderbirds to know how often that occurs in native american lore but uh that does seem to be a recurring theme and so i wondered if they might be just winged snakes that happened to be on the ground at the time they were seen i know that there was a point in the i believe it was there during the great depression when federal engineers were trying to drain part of the Hockamock Swamp, and they were having terrifying reports of these giant snakes. Often people would walk off the job because they would see these things.
1: Yeah. It, well, if we go a little bit further south in Mesoamerican culture, Quetzalcoatl is a feathered serpent, right? Oh, right. Yeah. So, and oftentimes, Quetzalcoatl is often identified as a thunderbird as well. So I think you might have something, at least in terms of the mythological link between serpents and, and giant lightning birds, right?
0: And isn't he the god of death as well?
1: Yeah, Dane. Actually, Quetzalcoatl is a religious symbol of death and resurrection. So there you go.
0: I mean, so... A malevolent serpent that can fly or is at least thought to be an angel is part of the Christian tradition, Judeo Christian. And so, I don't know, there might even be a sort of universal connection there between flying snakes. But, you know, I think just to stay grounded in the topic area, this seems to be really an interesting area because of the degree to which Native American mythology manifests or at least is experienced by contemporary people. So the snake is one example. I think mm. we'll talk about later, or maybe now Chris is a good time to to mention that there's also the Pukwudgies. So they're a kind of goblin creature that mm. part of the Wampanoag tradition that they believe in these things and they're still being seen today. And some of the best stories that come out of the Bridgewater Triangle are people who have encounters with these things. And mm-hmm. there's um, the whole lore about them that's gotten re experienced. So down to the details of are these three foot tall pudgy creatures, um, mm. they have kind of gray skin, they're kind of mottled hair. And, um, you know, they, one of the traditions about them is if you encounter them in their space and they see you notice you, they will then come visit you in your space. And indeed in the stories I looked at, people are saying, Oh, I had this encounter out in the Hockamock swamp. Or I was down in Freetown River Forest. And then a week later I'm in the parking lot at Walmart. And I just saw it, I just saw it over in the corner of the you know parking lot for a minute and then it was gone. You know, it just kind of lets you know, hey, you know, I can find you. I have a bead on you.
1: Yeah, and, and puckwajies are often characterized as malevolent tricksters as well. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, and that's another thing that's really interesting about this mythologically, Chris, is that the Native Americans saw them as like tricksters as you say so they're sort of pranksters they're not into interested in having you know helpful productive relations with humans but they're not anything more than that they sort of have their own space and they want to keep to it and they want us to stay out of their space but uh in the christianized version so so native americans who converted to christianity started to retell the story saying that the puckwudgies were Demons, or servants of the devil, and it's from that source. And this comes through Chris Balzano, who is a paranormal researcher here in the New England area, and he also works on anthropology and and uh, and myth, myth myths and folklore. But he says that it's through the Christianized Indians that he knows of this idea of a dark trinity associated with the Puckwidges. And the idea is that there's the Puckwidge, which is a kind of goblin, and then often. In the vicinity of the Pukwudji during a Pukwudji encounter, you will encounter spirit lights. And the Indian name for those were the Taipai Wonkas. And in the Christianized Indian telling of the story, the Taipai Wonkas are the damned souls of humans who were lured to their death by the Pukwudgis. So that's the second part of the Trinity. And then the third part is that there's often a dark, shadowy figure who is encountered also in the same proximity at the same time. And uh the Christian version is that, well, he's the devil. He's the controller mm-hmm. of these minions.
1: Yeah, and actually, um, looking at my notes here, uh it's exactly what it says. It says the Wampanoag and Narragansett people began to identify Habamak, which was that death deity, with the devil, uh Aside from that, too, this deity, there's legends where Habamak plays these terrible tricks on adults. Um, he takes their eyelids so that they can never sleep again, and other accounts. He twists their feet and deforms them so that they can't walk and they become lame, right? But onto this idea of puck wedgies, I have a Reddit account. It sounds a lot like what could be a puck wedgie. Maybe some slight differences, okay? So bear with me, this is a little bit longer, but I, I think it definitely ties in. So this was posted by MacMusi on Reddit. You've never heard of the Bridgewater Triangle? My boss asked in disbelief. You've been to Taunton and Rayham, so you've basically been there. I sat at my desk and finished filing the overdue report i have been working on. I shrugged my shoulders and continued typing, but I could tell he was waiting for a response. I didn't want to get into it, not now, because I knew he was going to try and convince me to go exploring. No, I haven't been to the Bridgewater Triangle, and I don't believe in all that hullabaloo. He raised an inquisitive eyebrow. Are you kidding me? I sighed and turned away from my computer. I believe in ghosts. I believe that our galaxy is infinite, and that it would be stupid to think that we are the only life form in all of existence. I do not believe in Thunderbirds or Sasquatch or whatever else this Bridgewater Triangle is is allegedly harboring. Mason, you can't be that dense. I'm not. I believe in seeing things for myself. I believe in the mythical chupacabra because I'm convinced I saw one near Gooseberry Beach. Why? Because I'd never seen a hairless dog before in my entire 23 years. Look, all I'm saying is to at least make a trip to Bridgewater Triangle, and I don't mean on Route 44. I mean into the woods, where the sightings are reported. I can almost guarantee you that you will change your tone. Go there and come back tomorrow, unchanged, and I'll give you a raise. I scoffed. You got a deal, man. The truth is, I was terrified, which came as no surprise. I was a very logical person, but I had a vast number of of illogical and irrational fears. Arachnophobia, shrimpophobia, and I was terrified of going near the ocean because I was convinced a giant kraken would surface and snatch me away. I've lived in New Bedford my whole life, and I never heard of the Bridgewater Triangle, but I have heard some pretty disturbing things about the region. I mean, look at the highway murders right there in New Bedford. The killer was never found, and even though there were four suspects, they're all dead now. It's a permanently cold case, and we will never know who was responsible. But all this talk about the Bridgewater Triangle, a suicidal ghost, Sasquatch or Bigfoot or whatever, Thunderbirds, you'd have a better chance of seeing Christ himself. I decided to humor my boss, though, despite my internal protest. After work, I went home to grab a bite to eat, change my clothes, and I drove up to Hakamak Swamp, where a majority of sightings have been reporting. I called a few of my friends to meet me there, and shortly after I arrived, two out of five had made it. The other three had some rather piss-poor excuses. I activated the alarm on my black SXT and joined my friends as they began walking into the woods. "'We must have walked for at least half an hour and literally witnessed nothing but silence. "'In the distance, we could hear the sounds of cars on the highway and main roads, "'some birds chirping and squirrels running amuck. "'But that was literally it. "'We even stood in complete silence and waited for something, "'anything to reveal itself, and nothing happened. "'Mason,' Elizabeth laughed. "'I mean, what did you think was out here?' "'I rolled my eyes.' Nothing, Liz. That's my point. I don't see Thunderbirds, I don't see Bigfoot, and I don't see ghosts. This is a waste of time, but at least I'll have a raise waiting for me tomorrow. I pulled out my iPhone and snapped a selfie with my friends and sent a picture to my boss. We are at Hockamock and there's nothing here. Looking forward to my raise tomorrow. Come on, let's get out of here before a spider falls on me, I laughed, watching my friend James lead the way. My phone vibrated, and I opened the message response from my boss. What's that behind you? Hold on, guys, I said, staring at the message with great confusion. What is it? Liz asked, somewhat concerned. I read the message again, and again, and again. I read it a sixth time aloud before pulling up the picture I sent my boss. Behind Liz, in the distance, peeking out of a tree, was a tall, pale, and gangly figure. It was naked, but had no anatomy. It had a head... Two unusually long arms, but no face. I stared at the picture and looked around for the tree. It stood there, innocent. There was nothing remotely near it. Mason, what's wrong? James asked. Yeah, you're freaking me out, Liz added. I handed Liz my phone and stared at the tree, literally not blinking once. I watched it with intrigue and fear because, as innocent as the tree looked, I knew it was hiding something. What the fuck? Liz exclaimed. What is that? Suddenly, a twig snapped. One long arm wrapped around the tree as I stared at it. Run! What? James asked. Run! I screamed, nearly knocking him down. Liz tossed me my phone, and I pocketed it as she bolted past me, headed back for the main road where we pulled over and parked. We had a 30-minute run ahead of us, but we all ran so quickly, we definitely cut the time in half. As a smoker, I had no idea I could run so quickly and for so long without stopping to cough up a lung. "'There's no drug-like adrenaline.' "'We eventually reached the road and stopped to breathe. "'Liz tied her long black hair into a ponytail and bent forward, "'putting her hands on her knees. "'Jesus Christ, what the fuck was that?' "'I don't know,' I stammered. "'James remained still, staring into the forest. "'He raised a hand and pointed in the woods. "'Liz and I walked over to him and glanced in the direction he was pointing "'and saw that gangly figure watching us from the middle of the clearing.' Liz literally jumped over the hood of James's car and into the driver's seat. I was already back in my SXT by the time James stumbled in the passenger seat of his Optima, and I followed as Liz did a burnout and sped out of the area and back onto a main road. I had a hard time sleeping that night. I re- returned to work the next day, not having spoken to anyone about what I'd witnessed. I walked into the office, sat at my desk quietly. A few moments had passed, and my boss walked by dropping a paper on my desk from HR, showing an hourly rate increase, the raise he'd promised. We won't talk about yesterday, he said headed to his desk. The picture you sent me literally said it all. I sat at my desk and allowed a few stress-filled tears to come down my cheeks. I looked out of the office window and saw the familiar profile of that pale gangly creature creature from the Bridgewater Triangle standing in the trees near the office watching me. What was it waiting for? And there it is. And while this creature is taller than your traditional Pukwudgie, all the other features are the same, and it follows them to work. Yeah, that's right. So that's that element of the story
0: where, you know, you see it where it lives, and then it comes and it finds you where you live. I just think that's really cool because I just, I like... It's not just like we're repeating and appreciating Native American myths, even if that's what they are. We're living them. We're embodying and, and that tradition is becoming part of us.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, it's almost as if there just really are Like,
1: Yeah, it could be. It could be that there are puckwudges. It could be a cult- cultural adaptation uh, of that Native American lore into our modern society. Uh, either way, fascinating.
0: I have another story about puckwudgies, Chris. It's similar to the one you told, uh, but this one it comes from the Boston Globe. It was reported in two thousand fourteen. It's an event that took place in uh, Rainham. Also, uh, William Russo was working late. He get, he would get home. Sorry, he would get home late around midnight, and he would take his uh, dog Samantha. Out for a walk right when he got home so he's walking the dog around midnight around his neighborhood and he says suddenly the dog began to shake and he says rattle like an old Chevy and so he became concerned and uh, looked around and tried to find out what was terrifying her and he says he heard a sort of high-pitched wail, and a voice said Ewan want you Chu, want you here here and then, illuminated by a streetlight, he saw a creature. He says was three to four foot tall. It was pot bellied. It had big eyes. It was covered in hair, and it had no clothes. It repeated, "I e want you. I e want you. Here. And he says it beckoned him. And he emphasizes, "It wanted me to come to it, but it wasn't coming to me. Like it wanted me to cross into its space." And then he said, "Um, I'd like to tell you that I was courageous enough to come up to it and ask it what it wanted. But actually, I turned the other direction. So he says he went home and he didn't tell anyone that story for decades. He kept it to himself, but he thought it was such an important event that he felt like people needed to know. So he reported it to some paranormal investigators. And it it also appears in the uh, Bridgewater Triangle documentary that I mentioned earlier
1: yeah absolutely yeah so this this and and it's interesting too uh that the puck aside from possibly resembling goblins uh this kind of idea of in fairy lore of fairy creatures luring people into their realm right and so this would seem to connect there Also, a possible connection between your classic gray alien and the description of that and the Pukwudgies, right? There's a lot of similarity there as well, I think. Yeah,
0: they're humanoid, not fully grown, or at least not normal height. But uh, the hair was unusual, and the the big eye was consistent. But the hair and the pot-bellied, a little different.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have, uh, on a different note, shifting off of Pukwudgies... I want to talk about kind of the maybe a ghost story surrounding this area. So, we also have ghost sightings too in this area of high strangeness. And so, uh, one of the most famous ghosts is the red headed hitchhiker of Route 44. And so, people are seeing this uh, on Route 44 near the Seekonk Rehoboth line uh, in Rehoboth, Massachusetts. So uh, tales of this character span the last three decades. Uh, there's this red-headed dude who walks up and down Route 44, wanting to be picked up. Well, he does sometimes try to hitch a ride, thumb out and all, he's also sometimes seen chilling in the woods or even in the middle of the road. Cars, unable to avoid this phantasm, speed through the spectral apparition. They literally drive right through it when he appears in the middle of the road. Uh, is this a ghost or some other super? natural phenomenon uh maybe you know several people have died along this road as is true with many rural highways and uh in fact according to one account he could match the description of someone who's passed years back but who really knows so what does he look like well he's he's tall he's over six foot he's muscular he's got this fiery red hair and sweet beard pretty rugged figure oftentimes wearing work pants or denim but always a red flannel shirt. Now, people who get a close look at him say they can tell right away he's not human, okay? Uh, he may be something more or less than human, but it's these dead eyes that he has that give him away. Like, so eyes at the window of the soul. When people look, there's this kind of dead death in his eyes, right? Uh, different. There's different variations of this account. And sometimes people pick him up, He gets in the car, they're riding along, and then he vanishes. Sometimes as the driver approaches, he vanishes. And perhaps probably the most disturbing is sometimes people are driving by themselves and he just appears in the passenger seat within the vehicle.
0: And there's more from the uh, Encyclopedia of Haunted Places 2005 by Jeff Bellinger. There are reports of him uh, talking over the radio. Did you come across
1: those, Chris? no I hadn't I think you'd mentioned this to me before but would you care to elaborate
0: yeah so uh, often people will say when the phantom hitchhiker disappears they hear laughter and the laughter is coming over their radio so mm. in the best version of this story a um, uh, couple was driving down 44 when they saw a man along the side of the road and they stopped to see if he needed some help. The man got out of the car and walked to the man. So this is the male got out of the car he was driving. He walks to the man he sees on the side of the road. As he gets up to the man, that man disappears. And then he hears laughter coming from all around him. And they're surrounded by woods, right? So that's terrifying. He runs back to the car, jumps in the car. And the woman he's with says, I heard laughter. It was coming out of the radio. And often it also taunts you. So when he disappears, he says mocking things. And I couldn't find anyone who said specifically what he's taunting you, like what he's saying. Like, is he saying, like, you're so fat, right? Or you're such a fool to pick up a hitchhiker on the side of the road, you're so dumb. I don't know what he's, but it's often described as a taunting. Uh, maybe
1: it's the laughter itself that's taunting. Yeah, it would sound like it. it sounds very sinister. Uh, but also somewhat of just a kind of that trickster thing that we were talking about as well. Definitely. There's a trickster element. Yeah. hmm. Yeah. Um, when when
0: things involve cars, I start to think that sounds more like an American urban legend because, you know, how we love our cars and I know so many stories sort of tall tales about things that happen involving automobiles like we all know the one about the uh, the hooked man, the hooked escaped madman yeah. mm-hmm. who kills lovers who are making out alone on some lovers lane type area. So that's a recurring story involving cars. And then the Phantom Hitchhiker stories are ubiquitous to the United States. Um, So we love our cars and they become a source of mythology. But one thing that I actually think rings true about the Phantom Hitchhiker and the radio is that I hear a lot of reports about paranormal phenomenon interfering with electromagnetic equipment. So um, uh, when we did the exorcism story, Chris, uh, there was one thing I came across in my research that The boy at one point who was possessed had a fit of possession while his uncle was driving him to be baptized. And they said, it said in the, in the priest's notes, while the boy was having this fit in the car, the radio stopped working. It went all like staticky. And uh, John Keel writes about this too, how there seems to be a lot of electromagnetic disruption associated with UFOs and paranormal activity. And Lauren Coleman, the researcher who got the whole Bridgewater Triangle thing kicked off, at least he's the person who first started calling it the Bridgewater Triangle. Lauren Coleman just says that there's a lot of uh, uh, electromagnetic magnetic disruption that happens to investigators who are working in this area. So batteries go dead, equipment shorts out. That kind of thing is a a common theme.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, and also often UFO stories as well, right? Yeah, it's a big element of UFO stories. Yeah. Yeah. So we have this area of high strangeness. So what could what's going on here? What do we think? What are some theories? So one thought that I had to
0: have, and I think we should just get it out there. Well, um, this came to me while watching the documentary, the 2013 documentary, which is pretty good, but it lumps everything you could imagine in there from stories that are uh, well documented, including some that have some photos and video. Which I'm hoping to get some of that up on the website if I can get uh, permission or at least determine if it's open source. But uh, so, really good documented photos of orbs and UFOs, um, and also some EVP recordings of voices, some of them speaking Algonquin. But, um, but also, like I said, more of the urban legend stuff. And listening to that, I had the thought that it, one, you know, the simplest, maybe naturalistic explanation is that there was just so much that's happened in this area. So just that war, the King Philip's war was so violent, almost decimation of the population, right? 5% of the population, you're halfway to decimation, um, incredibly violent event, traumatic. And then you've got these Indian graves everywhere that aren't really well documented or getting moved around, um, early on in the archeological investigation of the area. This is actually early 20th century. They dug up some of these graves. There was actually uh, an academic expedition. And uh, they dug up some of these graves and they said they actually found bodies. And they were buried with red ochre, which is used for dye and has other medicinal purposes among the Indians. So it was sort of a holy thing that they would sometimes bury people with. And when they would dig up bodies with that red ochre, it would just evaporate. It would like literally burn right before their eyes. And this is a completely... Scientifically accepted phenomenon that when you have bodies that have been buried uh, in areas of low oxygen and you finally exhume them, that they'll often just disintegrate before your eyes. These kinds of things are so disturbing that I think they could engrave into the human psyche, you know, a kind of capacity for traumatic relivings, right? Seeing things, having hallucinations. So there could be a totally naturalistic explanation that it's just a kind of cultural trauma now that's become part of our culture Mm -hmm. related to the way the Indians were treated. So that's one simple explanation.
1: Yeah. In addition to that, you know, some of these accounts uh, could just be kind of rural yahoos running around causing trouble, uh, perhaps as uh, the city has grown and uh there's been kind of that urban is urban pressure from people coming into the area uh people don't like that, and so some of the accounts that I read it's like uh being chased by trucks and whatnot, and then they'll say the truck disappeared but you know if if someone's trying to run you down with a vehicle uh once it's gone, you know were you really noting it? you know could it have just simply driven off? I don't know uh and certainly, you know we know that there are humans who participate in esoteric religious traditions that are sometimes violent and involving uh sacrifices and so yes there could be people who are practicing uh certain forms of satanism or other occult things that they're doing these things but that's uh, there's just people doing these things and that would be a natural explanation as well
0: right chris that's another direction that we ought to go into although we haven't said much about the satanic activity in the area it is well documented through the seventies, eighties and nineties. There has been strong evidence of satanic activity. And we're not, this is in high Satanism, like the church of Satan, which just to say, step back for a moment and say, there is a church of Satan. And I don't know that much about it, but from what I've read, these people don't identify as devil worshipers. Uh, they actually identify as atheists and, uh, Satan is supposed to represent like uh, some
1: kind of force. It's not necessarily yeah. evil. It, it, it's a Gnostic. It's a it's a Gnostic tradition. Okay. Right. So yeah. So they're looking inwards towards themselves for enlightenment, in th- in that form. And so, um, in that in that church, yeah, you're right. It's not like they're actually worshiping him as a supernatural being. As we would see in kind of the Judeo-Christian pantheon of beings, in right? That sense, yeah. I
0: mean, what's important to me, trying to make sense of it theologically and on its own terms, is that they don't identify with evil. It's not like they believe in doing terrible things and hurting people and destroying the world, and they're identifying with a, a being that the Judeo-Christian tradition says is the being that's responsible for those things, for bringing them into the world, and for waging war against all that's good. So they're doing a different kind of thing. but the the activity that's sometimes associated with the triangle is pretty much what I call low Satanism or just straight up, you know stereotypical devil worship. So they've literally had documented cases of uh, of people being executed by by devil worshipers. or at least people who went to trial would use this as their defense. So there was a woman who was decapitated. This is horrible, but it's true. Horribly decapitated in Freetown river state forest and, uh, they caught the murder. They brought him to trial. His defense lawyer said it wasn't my guy didn't do it. You know, in fact, it was a satanic cult that did it. And then that led to sort of rumors that, well, maybe that guy was actually part of a satanic cult. He was trying to pass off responsibility. Police who have worked in the area. Say they found all kinds of animals mutilated, so treated badly, mistreated animals um in a way that suggests ritualistic sacrifice so just recently i think it was like 10 years ago they found um a dozen baby calves out in freetown river state forest exsanguinated and um i don't even know how you get 12 calves
1: like that seems like a major
0: operation to me
1: yeah you'd have to have a trailer i think like for hauling cattle
0: yeah which seems like it's like a step up from step up from being just some yahoo like you have to have a team yeah. of people right they have to have some I mean, funds and resources to do that i, I
1: mean think. i guess you could stuff them into a u-haul yeah i mean I yeah i don't know probably wouldn't get your deposit back on that one though
0: so there is and this is kind of low material it's it's um Kind of bothers me. I don't find it as as interesting or enjoyable as the, a lot of these stories about the paranormal, because it's not really paranormal, right? This is just people doing evil things, right? Yeah. You know, hurting other humans and hurting animals. Uh, it bothers me, but you know, you do have to admit, like you pointed out, that could play into the, what's happening in the triangle in at least two ways. One is some of what's happened in the triangle could just be the result of just people engaged in criminal misbehavior but it could also be a paranormal explanation that um they've summoned things or brought things into the world or they've worsened activity that was already here
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think that if we go back into the history of this place and the kind of accounts throughout the ages of this being a spiritually significant place um and we suspend disbelief and say these things are going on we, I don't think we can say they brought this in being or existence to their activities. Uh, perhaps they're committing those activities in that place because it is a, a place of high psychic and spiritual energy, right?
0: Yeah, so there could be a feedback loop there that, um, you know, um, Robert Antoine Wilson is the person who gets this idea out into the culture the best of anyone I know. He's a, a fiction, paranormal writer but also a person who worked with the occult and wrote true stories about his experiences with the occult and he wrote he's best known for a fictional story called the illuminatus trilogy which um and in that story a major theme of it is that evil beings evil spirits uh want human beings to to commit human sacrifice and the reason why they want it done is because it will empower them it will give them energy and allow them to you know, further their nefarious designs. Um, so yeah, I think the possibility of feedback loops, paranormal feedback loops are in the culture and therefore ought to be mentioned as a possibility.
1: And, and also, so let's go back, circle back to the idea of this being an area of high strangeness. We have ghosts, we have UFOs, we have Pukwudgies, we have uh, potentially deities in the form of Thunderbirds. So why so much? What could be going on?
0: Well, one thought, I mean, I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode is that the area does have what I call deep roots and they go back possibly before all human history. So at least biologically, right? They've actually found these organisms that have been pretty rare since the ice age ended. That are living in these lakes and if you find you know simple invertebrates living in the water you wonder what else could be there right or what Mm -hmm. kinds of memories like you know what if we see native american ghosts but then we're also seeing the ghosts of some creature that was sentient before there were humans right there could be who knows what lived before us what might've been roaming around North America 25,000 years ago. And maybe those things came to a bad end when the ice age ended and their ghosts are still running around. Maybe they're just were giant serpents and thunderbirds. We see their ghosts. Interesting stuff. Yeah. What's so interesting about it to me is the degree to which this stuff has like roots that you can document, right? The organisms that are there in the lake, you can see them with your eyes. And then the the native American burial grounds. And you guys can go to this stuff, some of it at least. So Dighton Rock um, is a rock that has these petroglyphs on it. You can go there. It's a, it's, it's a park now. Anawan Rock is still out there and you can go visit it. That's a rock that's believed to be haunted by Native Americans. The Freetown River Forest area. I just went there last weekend and I went to Ascent Ledge, which is supposed to be haunted. Supposedly a bean tries to drive you off the ledge. I went and hiked that. And you can go to the Hakamak Swamp and have a, you know, you can go visit the swamp. People do all the time and have a good time. So this is all stuff that you can actually go see. And you can see at least the stuff that's documented, the pet, the mysterious petroglyphs, you know, the beautiful ledges. And so there's some grounding for the stories, you know. Did someone try to drive you off the ledge, Dane? No, well, nobody. I don't think they're trying to drive me off the ledge. I went up to this ledge and, uh, you know, it's like a day trip. I made a day trip out of uh, getting out there and I got a little lost when I finally got there though, it was like being in central park in New York. Like there were just people everywhere. And it might be because of the pandemic that, uh, people are trying to going out to parks more, cause that's the only way to get outside. But you know, people everywhere, it kind of spoiled the mood. There were also uh, dirt bikes everywhere. And then when I was actually up on the ledge, I tried to climb down to a little kind of hard to get to perch because I thought I'm going to get away from people. I'm going to sit here and kind of meditate and chill out, see what kind of vibes I pick up. And when I did that, uh, there were some teenagers above me and they started throwing bottle caps at me. And I was like, well, there's your bad energy right there, you know? (laughs) Um, and I think that's got to play an explanatory role in what's happening here. Um, you know, it's only 46 minutes from Boston. It's a very short drive away from Providence, Rhode Island, the capital of Rhode Island. It's three and a half hours from New York city. And it's just thirty minutes out of Martha's Vineyard, so you know there's lots of civilized places nearby. And if you wanted to go someplace kind of foresty and out in the wilderness and get up to trouble, it's an easy place
1: to get to. Yeah. Did you have any theories, Chris, about what's going on? Um, you know, it seems to me, just you know, kind of went over the naturalistic part when we talk about this idea of a feedback loop. It could very well be also that we have all these supernatural events regardless it seems that they're largely negative events and even historically negative right uh yeah this place it's not a it's not a form of benevolent energy Uh, we have also this kind of concept of this idea of energy vortexes so these kind of naturally occurring areas where you have an upwelling of psychic energy and it could be that the bridge triangle, water triangle, is simply one of those, albeit that the, the energy that's kind of welling up it tends to have a more negative flavor, as opposed to somewhere like uh, Sedona, Arizona, another alleged energy vortex that people talk about. It brings spiritual lightness, physical and spiritual healing, very positive vibes, right? And so right. this could be maybe a negative manifestation of that, given all the history in the background that we're pulling out. Uh, Because I had not seen a single kind of positive spiritual interaction in the research that I've done.
0: Yeah, that's true. I'm trying to think for one second. Uh, Yeah, no, they're all terrifying. Uh, At at least they're terrifying. And, you know, and there were some stories like one, I I couldn't find a lot of detail on this. But one guy says that uh, uh, a giant dog came out of the woods and ate his pony. Like it just killed his pony right in front of him. And then wow. when you tie in the human murders and the animal mutilations, there's a lot of, yeah, there's definitely a dark,
1: and um, that negative negative energy could be attracting negative humans and human behavior and having an influence in that direction as well as part of the feedback loop.
0: Yeah, so. that could be it. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. it could even go one direction that, uh, there's just something unpleasant there that doesn't like humans and it. This is a thought I had in the Freetown river forest too. I had this thought about what I called hierarchies of predation. I was like you know this place could bring out people who are sort of wanting to cause trouble and harass other humans you know people who want to rob other people or somehow take advantage of other people or our animals and then my god there's there could be creatures like the next tier up who want to take advantage and use those people right
1: mm-hmm. yeah. so you know
0: you got your satanist out in the woods and they think they're gonna get involved with something spooky and weird but then there's something ancient and evil That wants to take advantage of them, right? And through them, do its evil deeds. And so, uh, yeah, possibility of negative
1: energy that way. Definitely different possibilities here. Uh, Interesting location. I'll definitely be keeping my eyes peeled for more news coming out of the Bridgewater Triangle.
0: For sure. There's so much here and we can't even get into all of it. Um, There's entire topics, genres that I think we need to just kind of wrap up
1: and leave untalked about yeah absolutely well with that we thank you once again for joining us on the spectral skull session stay strange everyone stay sane